Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Travis Crotty. And I'm Father Shane Demon. And, Father Shane, we've had a lot going on recently. We have. Um, you're a little quiet still. Am I really? Now I can't quite hear you. Well, Maybe I need shoot. To, let me crank up my earphones. Hold on, folks. <laughs> Hopefully you can hear us. All right. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you're fine. <clears throat> I'll just be loud. Like when a baby cries at mass, I don't do well with that type of competition. Really? And I just get louder and louder. Yep. How's that work? It works pretty well. Yeah. Really? The baby just stops? No, but people oh. hear me. Oh. Yeah. The first homily I ever preached um, as a deacon at Immaculate Conception Catholic Church here in Sioux City, um, there was a three-year-old screaming in the front pew right in front of the bad. ambo the entire the, time. The homily was that bad. Huh? It was that bad. Oh, wow. Sorry. <laughs> wow. Savage. <laughs> um, it was bad, but but I got through it. Um, so you. hopefully, if I'm not loud enough, folks, I'll just be louder because I've got a few more volume notches of my own I can crank up. But Way to persevere. Thank you. Um, we <laughs> we've had a lot going on though. It's been a busy month. It has been a busy month. I sort of switched jobs. Um, yeah, I at least you're left, easing into it. I'm easing into it. I uh, I left Lamar's and I'm in Sioux City now, and I'm covering masses at the cathedral and transitioning into a vocation director role, right. uh, chaplain of Bishop Elin. But there's no high school in session right now. Right. So welcome that'll, aboard. That'll come. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate it. We're, we have this two month overlap of being co-vocation directors. Yeah, yeah. we do, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, we, speaking of vocations, we just had an ordination or diocese. Very exciting. Yes. Peter Pham from Vietnam. Peter Pham from Vietnam. One ordination down, one more to come. Yeah. He's a deacon now, which is wonderful. Um, yeah. Peter and I, we've been in seminary together at, um, at Kenrick. So it was really nice. And then we spent, so when, COVID shut everything down. We spent three months living in the cathedral rectory together mm-hmm. and had many, many wonderful adventures together. Many uh, Cooking pho? Uh, yeah. No pho. <laughs> he never made pho. Oh, sorry. Lots and lots and lots of fried rice. I think one of the best things we had, it's Korean rather than Vietnamese, but uh, Korean fried rice, uh, uh, kimchi. Was oh, sure. Was kimchi fried rice was really, really good. Sure. Um, he's all about making his Vietnamese coffee. Oh, it's like motor oil. Which as a, yeah, as a, co- <laughs> this is nothing against the like Vietnamese coffee connoisseurs out there. It, it just has a very acquired taste and it mm-hmm. doesn't have the sort of subtleties as espresso. Nope. It's, it, it is. It just slaps you. It is, yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of, it's like a, it's a specific coffee that's kind of got some chocolate flavoring in it. Uh-huh. And it is heavy. Yeah. And it just, and it takes forever to brew Syrup. this little tiny little thing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> But every day, do you want some coffee? And then he'd give me some coffee. It was wonderful. So uh, Deacon Peter Pham is in Vietnam currently uh, seeing his family, which is which is nice. Yeah, it was a real beautiful moment for me, uh, having been the vocation director for seven years. I started on August 1st of 2015 in the vocations office, and the bishop had already accepted him, and he had not lived in the United States. So he came here as a kind of literally as a foreign missionary to serve in this diocese. He had a number of Vietnamese friends in the United States. He's also had some Vietnamese people from his diocese uh, here in this region. Um, And he got connected to our bishop and and my predecessor through various means. Um, But having accompanied him for seven years, watching him literally get fresh off the plane uh, when he landed from Hanoi 
seven years ago to watching him enter into the sacrament of holy orders. It was a real beautiful moment. Yeah. And, th- and praise God for technology with his family, his elderly parents who were na- not able to travel here. They were all able to watch this, you know, online through social media. And uh, I don't know if Peter shared any of this with you. I'm still waiting to see the photos from his family, but they had like a backyard viewing party. Oh, they outside. Yeah, really. they awesome. set up. Well, it was, of course, like at 10 or 11 at night in Vietnam when this ordination was happening here in this time zone. But they set up like a large screen outside. They had a big projector. They had lawn chairs. I, I don't quite know how long well, or how big the, the lawn is, but they had this huge party. Yeah, and Bishop mentioned it in his homily a little bit, but Peter was telling us before, I'm sure he told you, that his family was telling him, like, they were having this huge party. They're, they're going to have drinks and all this food during the Mass while they watched it as if it was just watching, like, the Super Bowl. And Peter with, like, oh. a, a, yeah, yeah, absolutely <laughs> with this kind of, like, deter, you know, he has a stern, very, uh, you know, enduring faith. And he's just like, you will pray this Mass with me, even right. if you're watching on a live stream. And then you can eat and drink afterwards. <laughs> right, like at one in the morning. But I think the funny, one of the funniest things, it was beautiful, and Peter just has such a rich and a deep faith that it was beautiful to watch him receive ordination. I think the best part was he gave like that little address at the end in Vietnamese to his, to his family right. through the live stream, but he spoke Vietnamese. So no one else, I mean, none of us English native-born English speakers know Vietnamese. Right. So he could have literally said anything he wanted. Yeah. And <laughs> Nobody would have known what he was saying. Yeah, it was quite a risk. The bishop yeah. just turned over the microphone and said, Peter, you go speak now. Yeah. And who knows what he said? He knows. Actually, Hopefully. he did tell us later that he was just thanking everybody yes, and was of course. doing a shout out to his family. But it was, was it was exciting. And it's wonderful for me. I've only been ordained to the priesthood a couple of years, but just I was ordained during COVID, of course, and then didn't get to go to a lot of friends' ordinations. So I've really only had one season of ordinations last summer to really mm-hmm. experience. So it's so... Uh, it's it's encouraging and mm-hmm. it's a rich experience to celebrate anew the ordinations every summer. So I'm mm-hmm. excited for those to keep going, and then for Deacon Zach Jones' priesthood ordination coming up yeah, soon, very soon, which is wonderful. It's coming up fast. So, uh, in the midst of this summer, this has been interesting. This will still come out in June. Um, I was recently at an airport, and in the month of June, the Southwest. Uh, I, I don't know what you call it. What do we call the area where you like check your bags and stuff? Just the checking counter. Bag check counter, yeah. right? Absolutely decked out to the nines with uh, pride flags, right? LGBTQ+, sure. plus, uh, rainbow flags everywhere. Big deal this month. It's a huge deal. And Sioux City just had a parade and favorite coffee shop downtown I just came from still decked out and everything. And So no one can um, not it, – it, nobody's not meant – not noticing all of these things, right? They're all, it's all over the place. And I think mm-hmm. big companies now, especially that has just been all over the place in advertising. Um, yeah, being, lots of corporate pressure. Yeah. Lots of corporate pressure on TV. She's seen it all the time. And I, I think this is um, a particularly, I was going to say outcasting. That's not a word to use. It is an experience of feeling outcast, both for those who are members of the LGBTQ plus community. And then, uh, people who feel outcast from that experience, maybe who are trying to uphold the church's teaching of marriage and sexuality in the midst of a culture that's becoming more and more secular, but that's celebrating um, these different elements of, of the kind of pride month culture. And we could talk about that forever. We could have a whole podcast about, um, about that. We have spoken about same sex attraction in the past a few, mm-hmm. about a year ago, I think at this point. Um, yeah, it was an episode on the Church of Hate. Yes. What is the church's true response to those who experience same-sex attraction? 
and what is the misnomer of what everyone thinks about how Catholics so think about listen those. Back, listen back on that one, and I'm sure we'll talk talk more. But what I wanted to kind of lean into a little bit, uh, Father Taylor and I, he's always looking for a shout-out. He's always looking for a, a nice one. So there you are, Father Taylor. Um, we're just talking about the, the line that's so often associated with the kind of Pride Month and the, the movement of the kind of Pride Parades and stuff. Love is love. This is love is love. Mm-hmm. So you have to respect love where love is present, you know. Um, but that ex- that just extends to so much confusion about love, right? Because, like, people have the bumper stickers. It's like my, my grandkids have four paws, you know, because mm-hmm. I love love my dogs. Like, we love mm-hmm. our – so that, that word's thrown in a lot, and it's, it's confusing, and it can feel um, – like an experience of making you making one outcast. Uh, what is love? Am I experiencing love in my life? Is, is does love have a definition? Is it just wide open? It could be anything that, that it wants to be, that we want it to be. In the midst of that, in that kind of confusion, we're approaching the feast day of the Sacred Heart, and June, in a way, is dedicated to the Sacred Heart and the Eucharist with Corpus Christi also coming up soon. Whenever this comes out, when people celebrate those feast days. So it's just, it's, it's made me think, and it's, it's helped us, uh, Father Taylor and I recently discussed this question of, of love, and where do, we, where do we get that from? We can get it from a dictionary, we can get it from the scriptures, we can get it from the culture, but how do we actually know what love means, and how are we invited to experience love ourselves in our own lives, our relationship with God, a relationship with others, um, through marriage, through celibacy? What does that mean? So I think that's what I want to talk about today, is in the midst of uh, Pride Month of June, we're also in the midst of this month of the Sacred Heart and the month of the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. All three of those beg the question, well, what is love? If love is love, then we have to know what we're talking about. Um, so I think that's what we need to talk about today. All right. Understand more. Well, let's launch. Good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well. Do you want to take a drink right now? I kind of do, yeah. You were I've just got, reaching for the San Pellegrino. A sense. Uh, <laughs> tangerine and wild strawberry that you I go ahead in the fridge. You the just funny thing is, I've, your whistle I've mentioned take these. Over. I've, clearly, these have been in the fridge in the cathedral for a long time because this was referenced at one point oh. on this podcast like months and months ago. So okay. clearly, whoever bought these and put them in the fridge, no one has drank these because... They were saving them for you. They really were. They knew you were coming when you were named vocation director months ago. They were. I think it is important that we have to define our terms. Um, you know, we're, we're becoming increasingly uh, fragmented in our culture of how do we understand what love is? How do we understand what, what support, affection, and friendship means for others? And then that obviously gets into a wide variety of discussions about the nature of marriage. Um, but just basically, you know, a basic understanding of what is love uh, it might be kind of fun to flippantly throw this phrase around love is love, but it doesn't really, you know, it grammatically, it doesn't actually define the terms. If you just use the same term over and over again, it doesn't necessarily root itself in uh, how other cultures in history, especially the the ancient Greeks with their four definitions of love have understood the term. Mm -hmm. And uh, it doesn't necessarily pinpoint what God reveals about love with such a bland statement. Love is love. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. We could spend a lot, a lot of time talking about the philosophical foundations of these Greek words for love, these different kind of types of self-gift, mm-hmm. different types of um, affection, different mm-hmm. types of um, helping. Even, yeah, even romantic bonds. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Different different levels of those romantic bonds, whatever that might be. Um, and just kind of at base level, um, Aristotle's idea that love is willing the good of the other, right? That, yeah, that, that all kind of is a foundation to it. But 
the line from the Second Vatican Council's document, Gaudium et Spes, was actually um, was was hitting me when I was thinking that Christ reveals man to himself, or Christ reveals humanity to ourself. That's kind of an interesting idea, if people have ever thought about that. Through the Incarnation, obviously there was humanity uh, for, for years and years and years and years and years, and there wasn't humanity present in the Trinity, and God hadn't yet taken on our flesh. He hadn't become Jesus. There's always the Trinity, always the second person of the Trinity, but the second person of the Trinity became Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and in so doing reveals humanity to ourselves. He shows man what it is to be man. So if we want to learn how to love, I think it's obvious we look to Jesus. If we believe that he really is the fullest revelation of God's love for us. Mm -hmm. This month of the Sacred Heart, we have this beautiful image um, that Jesus revealed to St. Margaret Mary Alaco. Do you pronounce the extra Q on the end of that? Alacoque? Alacoque? How do you I, say that last I name? do, yes. How do you say it? Alacoque. Alacoque. That's okay. how I've always pronounced it. Well, yeah. I was at a parish. You'll have to figure out because SMMA in South County in St. Louis, St. Okay. Margaret Mary Alaco, they just kind of let the Q just kind of fall off there. So. All right. SMMA well, is for any of our For any of our... Um, Expert French speakers, you're yeah, welcome to please. to contact us. Yeah, for people who don't know, um, in the you got the years on that Saint Margaret Mary, 1800s. No, um, I looked this up recently because I actually thought it was just prior to the Romantic period, but it's earlier. I oh. think it was like uh, 1640. Well, here we are, folks. Just kind of like the, you but know, the feast has been, no, the feast day has been celebrated since 1856. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, but I think uh, Margaret Mary's life was was quite a bit uh, Much earlier. earlier. Yeah. Regardless, Jesus revealed through private revelations to St. Margaret Mary. I'm going to cut off her last name or wherever she's from. Margaret Mary of, <laughs> of Southern France. Pere le Monial. We're just going to say St. Margaret Mary. Uh, and he revealed this image, and I'm sure so many of you have seen it, of the sacred heart of Jesus. There's a lot of statues and stained glass, especially in the Midwest, because after this feast day was established in the 1800s and 1850s, the devotion that had been built up over a few hundred years of the Sacred Heart of Jesus um, is all over our churches. So there's often Sacred Heart statues of Jesus in sanctuaries or up above on high altars, um, especially in the stained glass. I know in St. Joseph Church in Lamar's, there's a beautiful image of St. Margaret Mary receiving this revelation of Jesus's Sacred Heart. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen it, but if you have seen it, it's good to remember, it's kind of like an anatomical heart that is sometimes more or less depicted like a real physical heart, Mm -hmm. Um, but wounded, pierced, representing the lance, um, crowned in thorns, bleeding often, but on fire, like from the top of the heart on fire, often with a cross coming out of that fire. Um, what a beautiful image of love. When we ask this question, what is love? If, if love is love, if we're made for love, if everybody's trying to love and be loved, then what is love? Well, Jesus, through this private revelation, gives this image that's so beautifully represented in art all the time of love, of a heart of a human heart that's pierced, but that's on fire um, with, with passion, but that's willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. through pre- represented by the crown of thorns. The, the heart itself in the image that you're referencing is just, but the symbol of, of the passionate interior life that was, that was leading Jesus resolutely to his crucifixion and death on the cross. Right. And the love that was poured out on the cross has been seen for 2,000 years mm-hmm. uh, in the image of the crucifixion. 
Um, but what Jesus revealed to Margaret Mary, you know, in the 17th century, uh, I think she died in 1690, as I'm looking this up here, um, that was just kind of the a, a symbol, a very, a very uh, richly um, incarnational symbol of this interior flame that was, was driving this, this self-offering. Uh, he says here, in one of his private revelations to St. Margaret Mary, he says this, Behold this heart, which has so loved men that it has spared nothing, even to exhausting and consuming itself in order to testify its love. So, you know, at a, at a time in which, you know, our Lord would have known that rationalism was going to be coming, you know, throughout European thought, mm. um, you know, he reveals this, this beautiful symbol of his interior life, uh, which just reminds us of the overflowing love that was, that's always been pouring forth from the cross in his self-sacrificial love to the Father on our behalf. Uh, the, the, the Lord always knows what he's about, and the timing of that in a way in which you know, was going to get pretty um, necessary for a European culture to, to recommit itself to understanding how deeply and how passionately Jesus really loves each one of us to the point of, expe- of extending his entire life and his last breath on the cross for us. Uh, really providential. Yeah, and that's right. And if <clears throat> if what was necessary in the past was kind of this, this you know, onslaught of rationalism um, through European culture, um, what we see today in our kind of post sexual revolution that's been ongoing and developing, we see this, that kind of idea of self emptying this kenosis, this, uh, that type of love that's complete and only thinks of the other that we see Jesus show in that image of, uh, the sacred heart, but also on the cross, beautiful images of the crucifix, Jesus loving us and loving us to the end, giving everything of himself I think what we experience today, the struggle is with selfishness, right? Is self-love rather than self-giving love. And it's often celebrated today, right? It's like, love yourself, treat yourself. Like we've talked about that before, but I've noticed that more and more. You got to love yourself, right? I love that for you, right? I just, just love that for you. Like, um, there's so much about self-love and there does need to be a proper understanding of our identity, as beloved children of God and where we get that identity from, right? We, we love that reality, but love of self can so easily just become selfishness. Like that doesn't make any sense messing with the thing. It's all right. It's your, <laughs> it's your, it's your trademark. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we look to Jesus on the cross. We look to the sacred heart and we see that real love, like I've probably mentioned before from John Paul II, this uh, free, full, faithful, fruitful gift of self that he opens up in theology, of the body, that's that's what Jesus reveals, um, is this self-sacrificing love. Um, is that what love is like in our lives? That's the real question. That's the um, the touchstone of, of love. So to push back a little bit, Father, here on you. Sure. I think there could be a lot of people, some of our listeners, who might say, well, yeah, but I still understand love being love is love. Hmm. Even you talk about love needs to be self-sacrificial. Great. Yeah. I do that. You know, I have affection for my friends and my lovers. I have affection. Uh, people say, well, I have strong bonds and, and moments when I love to sacrifice for the good of the other, uh, whether that's a heterosexual union or a homosexual union yeah. here in Pride Month. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to push back and say, well, yeah, that's all just included. That's common sense. That's obviously part of what the phrase means, right. love is love. 
Uh, so is there anything specific that Christianity has to say into that? Or is there, is there a way in which we can say that everyone's expressions of love are really ordered towards the supreme witness of Jesus's love as a participation in that? And therefore, we're almost being drawn to our creator through those moments mm-hmm. of love. So it's not just kind of an arbitrary game of defining it as you wish. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, because there needs to be some sort of end, some like talos to what this is, what this love is. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned before, I think a couple episodes ago, when you're kind of leaning into those ideas of theosis or divinization, Mm -hmm. that if we're created to not just be in a relationship with God, that God is kind of far off and sometimes dips down and interacts with us. But if we're invited into the love that Jesus has for his church, which is nuptial, which is a bridegroom and a bride, then we're invited into that love and we're invited to see that love then spill out in the world. Um, that happens in celibacy, that happens in marriage. Um, and we're invited to participate in that. Um, Jesus as the bridegroom and his church as the bride. Um, so you're telling me that love is supposed to be ordered towards growing into something bigger than myself and my ego? I think that's it. Is that what you're telling me? I think that's it, yeah. Okay, yeah, say late, more about that, well, Father. No, that's great. I mean, Jesus lays his life down to pick it up again. Like, he doesn't just lay it down, um, but the sacrifice is fruitful. It's for something. Um, and in this case, it's for eternal life um, with him forever. I'm just kind of riffing on that. That doesn't exactly answer the the question. Well, but I think it does in as much as salvation is always ordered towards communion. Mm. It's always ordered towards something bigger than ourselves. It's Salvation is not just kind of, I feel personally satisfied. Mm. No, no. Salvation is always ordered towards, I am caught up in the very fullness of love and being, which is outside of myself, and it's found in God. Mm. And, and my experience of God is not only directly attaching me as a believer to him, but it also attaches me to everybody else in communion, such as that we become the body of Christ on earth and the body of Christ glorified in eternal life. Hmm. Every, everything towards this, this full moment movement of Christian love is ordered towards being outside of ourselves. Um, you know, the, the husband and the husband and wife who go and take wedding vows towards another person, uh, raising, conceiving, and bearing, and and delivering a baby, and caring for a baby, which is extending them outside of themselves, Mm -hmm. moving in greater holiness towards the inner life of the Trinity. There's always this kind of outward movement Mm -hmm. in which, as you say, Jesus died, but then picked his life back up again. We're we're finding ourselves in that outward moment, Mm -hmm. in that outward movement, going beyond kind of the own ego towards the fullness of love itself. Yeah, that's beautiful. And just to wrap that up, back to this image of the Sacred Heart we're given this month to contemplate, to consider, to pray with, is that there's always an eminence and a transcendence in the incarnation. Um, this is not to go afield. This is not some random association of Father Travis's mind that you're constantly accusing me of, Father Shane. <laughs> uh, Byzantine churches have two icons of Jesus. Uh-huh. One is on the ceiling and one is right in front by the door, uh-huh. right? And it shows that he's so far away, this transcendence of the Godhead, that we can't reach it. You can't go, you can't kiss that icon, which is like a, a tension that's experienced in those churches. But you can walk right up, and they're called the kissing icons, and kiss the one right in the front. Because in his incarnation, Jesus is eminent. He's close. He's near us. But through his ascension and his reigning in glory in heaven, there's this transcendence. I think what's beautiful of the Sacred Heart is that 
it reveals the incarnate love of this man, this God man. But it also, like you mentioned before, it's just an image of the interior love of Jesus mm-hmm. that's now at the right hand of God, the father in heaven. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it's beautiful that this love that was um, poured out on the cross, that's continually poured out um, through the church and the mass that's celebrated every day, that love, it, it invites us somewhere. It beckons us somewhere and it leads us out of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I think that's beautiful. Of what is love? Like love is not just love. Love is this gift of self that calls us to something greater. And what's greater is the communion of the Holy Trinity in heaven. Mm-hmm. Bam. <laughs> good thoughts. Yeah. Good uh, Good talking to you about this. So as we continue to, to mark, uh, you know, this whole culture is around us as marking Pride Month, it's a wonderful invitation for every of us, all of us to do kind of a deep introspection of what does it mean to really be a person of love? What does it mean to be a person of communion? And the Christian faith can say so much into that. And hopefully that's a, that's a live reality that all of us can enjoy. Good chatting with you, Father Absolutely. Travis. Absolutely, and look up an image of the Sacred Heart if you've seen it, if you haven't, um, and just pray with that these coming weeks as we celebrate this month um, of Jesus' love for each of us. God bless. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.